I'm Tisha Bader, and in the news, the arrest of Jewish journalist Evan Gershkovich in Russia. Evan, a reporter for the Wall Street Journal, is the American-born son of Russian Jewish immigrants. He was arrested on April the 1st in Russia and charged with espionage. Charges firmly denied by the United States and by the Wall Street Journal, demanding his immediate release. Shandy Race is Deputy Bureau Chief for the Middle East and North Africa at The Wall Street Journal, based in Israel. She is part of an initiative of support for her journal colleague just ahead of this Passover holiday, asking Jews around the world to set a place for Evan at their Seder table in solidarity, writing, as you celebrate freedom, join us in demanding freedom for Evan. She joins us now from Tel Aviv. Shandy, thank you so much for joining us here on JBS. We appreciate it. Thank you for having me. So before we talk about what happened to Evan, can you just tell us a little bit about him? Sure. Well, Evan is an exceptional journalist. Um, he only came to the Wall Street Journal less than a year ago, so he was still very new to our world, but he did some tremendous journalism. Uh, as you said earlier, he is the son of Soviet Jewish immigrants who came to New Jersey. That's where Evan was raised. He went to Bowdoin College. He started as um, an editorial assistant at the New York Times, and he had this lifelong connection and love of Russia and his Russian heritage, and he really wanted to explore that. And so he moved on from the New York Times to go to the Moscow Times so that he could be in Russia and report there. He worked in the Moscow Times, then went on to AFP and eventually came to the Wall Street Journal, where he did just exceptional work and made a name for himself very quickly. I actually didn't personally know Evan. Um, like I said, he was somewhat new and uh, I was I am all the way in Israel. He was all the way in Moscow or living in London and traveling into Moscow. Uh, but I have we have a lot of friends in common, very close friends in common. And he had a reputation um, that was well known across the paper. And so I've always admired his work from afar. And you just mentioned that I've been reading just endless tweets and write-ups um, from his colleagues, as you mentioned, people who work with him in Russia, uh, the press team there, people who admire him and who've been working with him and just praising his professionalism and just his the, the person that he is, the, the kind and lovely person that he is. Yeah, I, everybody's been really hit hard. I, like I said, didn't know Evan personally, but I have a lot of close friends who do know him. Um, and it's been just really hard for everybody. I think we've all sort of been in shock and there's a lot of anger and sadness and also just a tremendous feeling that we need to be doing something to get him out. Um, and so we've all been communicating with each other. We have this like huge WhatsApp group helping Evan and we're constantly shooting ideas and thinking of ways that we can start different campaigns to help him. Um, and just any, any people we know, anything we can do, um, because everybody's just really devastated and really eager to get him out. Yeah. So let's talk about what happened. It was April the 1st, as I mentioned, he was eating at a restaurant in, uh, Yekaterinburg, I'm going to say this is in the Ural Mountains, about 800 miles east of Moscow. He was working on a story when he was taken and charged with espionage. He pled not guilty, apparently has not been able to meet with his the lawyer that is representing him at all. And he's being held in this uh, notorious prison, Lefortovo prison. Anything else 
that you know or have heard since then um, about sure. the situation? Yeah, so I think he was actually taken March 29th, but you did get the situation correct. He was reporting a story. He was at a restaurant. Uh, our security um, personnel, the way that it works is whenever we go anyplace dangerous, I have the same thing in the Middle East. I'm tracked and every single hour that we are out, we get a ping from our security and they say time to do a check-in. And uh, we also have a tracking device on our phones. And it was when Evan went into this restaurant that his phone stopped pinging. Uh, he missed his security check-in. And it was pretty quickly after that that they realized that something had gone wrong. We also actually have been able to get our attorneys in to see Evan. Um, and so what they've told us is that he is in good health and he is in good spirits. So we were happy to hear that. Uh, we also, I think, uh, were able to get some matzah and some kosher for Passover food in for him. Um, and so we were also happy about that. But of course, he shouldn't be in there at all. Uh, you also got it right. He is in Lefortovo, which is an infamous prison. Many Soviet Jewish refuseniks were held in that prison. Other famous Soviet dissidents uh, were held in that prison. And it's, it's one of the most isolating prisons in the world. Um, and so... We've actually written a lot about Lefortovo and what it is. Um, and if people are interested in finding out more about what it's like, they can go onto our website and read about it. I wanna just get to a statement released by the Wall Street Journal on April the 1st. Um, I'm gonna just read it, the quote, the Wall Street Journal demands the immediate release of our colleague, Evan Gershkovich, a distinguished journalist who was arrested while reporting in Russia. We know what's going on in the world because of the fearless reporting of journalists like Evan. Evan's case is a vicious affront to a free press and should spur outrage in all free people and governments throughout the world. No reporter should ever be detained for simply doing their job. And Shane D, I imagine this story not only hits you hard because he is a colleague, but just it, it, it's a hard hit on journalists and their role in the world. Absolutely. I mean, our job is to be everywhere in the world, to tell the truth, to tell the stories that we see. And Evan was one of the most fearless journalists to continue to go into Moscow when we know that Putin has gone after journalists. Um, he's gone after any sort of dissent, any sort of free speech. And it, it's just more, it's part of a crackdown that has been ongoing in Russia for years. And what Evan wanted to do there was to tell the story of Russians, to tell, to hear their voices, because otherwise the world wouldn't hear it. Um, there's no free press really inside of Russia to be able to tell that story. And so foreign correspondents are absolutely essential in that. And it's really horrific that for trying to do this, he's been punished in this way. And as you say, you yourself, are, are in sometimes what is considered a um, a risky part of the world and in situations that are that are difficult and have the risks and challenges and how do you sort of navigate that line between the personal obligation you feel to do your job and carry out a journalist's duties to also your your own safety and protection? I mean, I would just say that the feeling of being a professional is so strong and you know it's 
it, it the the desire and the feeling that we have to tell the story and that this is our job it just overwhelms you and when you're a true professional that's your focus is getting to the story and telling the story and we worry about our security and i worry about my security and my husband certainly worries about it too and i think that you know the journal does have a robust security system um, and so when we go places, we're tracked, but obviously there's a limit to what they can do if something happens, you know, they may know that we've gone missing, but they don't always have the ability to get us out right away. You know, I've been involved in other close calls um, with journalists and it's very scary, uh, but this is our job and we're professionals and we're absolutely committed to telling the world what is going on. Um, all over the world, even in the most dangerous places. That's just the commitment that we've made. That's the commitment that the Wall Street Journal has made. And we're well aware of the risks and we just feel that this is our duty. And Evan is, is said to be the first American journalist since the Cold War to face spying charges for Russia. And we know, of course, that there is, there is a lot going on. US and Russia, there are certainly tensions are very, very high, but this is, this is major. This is dramatic. Yeah, I think it's a real escalation. I mean, um, I don't know what else to say other than it's, it's a dramatic escalation. I think that most people have uh, made clear, including in our paper, that Evan is essentially a hostage, uh, you know, Putin probably is doing this because he wants, or there's a good chance that he's doing this because he wants and expects that he'll be able to trade Evan for some um, high-level prisoners that the rush that the Americans are holding, um, and so he basically just kidnapped somebody, uh, and it's it's completely abhorrent, and uh, we're going to do everything that we can to get Evan out. So talk about this initiative that um, you launched just ahead of the Passover holiday and how this idea came to you and what the response has been up until this point. So um, I actually didn't come up with the idea. My colleague who's in my bureau, um, his name is Jared Malson. He's based in Istanbul, Turkey, and he actually does know Evan. And his wife came up with the idea and they were talking about their satyrs coming up and what are they going to do? And they try to sort of bring in readings um, about freedom and liberation. And his wife said, well, you know, we really should be talking about Evan. And this idea came up for the seat at the table. And as I'm sure many of your viewers will know, this was um, a tactic that was employed during the movement to free Soviet Jewry that really became incredibly popular was to save a seat for different refuseniks at People's Seder. There were prayers that were circulated for these refuseniks. And so when my colleague mentioned this option, um, we all just sort of jumped on it and we said, wow, that's just brilliant. And so um, me and another colleague, we came up with this um, Instagram friendly, um, sort of graphic, which is what you've seen and you made reference to. And we started sharing it with people and we got a really beautiful response. Um, people were sending me pictures uh, on Wednesday night of the place that they saved for Evan at their Seder. Uh, I also had one beautiful photo uh, from a synagogue in Miami Beach, Temple Menorah, that actually put 
a chair for Evan on the BEMA with a picture of him. And they said they weren't going to take it down until he was free. And I circulated that on social media and a lot of people were retweeting it and I think we're really moved by it. So it's been an amazing initiative. It's obviously one tiny, tiny part of what we're doing for Evan. We're just trying to figure out the best ways that we can to tell people about Evan and just keep his name in the news, People keep his name in people's minds. And remember that this is an American journalist who is being held hostage by the Russians and they need to let him go. And it really is the the Florida synagogue that you mentioned that it really is just so moving. And as you said, we we sat at the Seder table, we we read about freedom from slavery, freedom from bondage. And there are references in, in more contemporary uh, Haggadot to try and connect us to cases of people still not being free. And here is this story right in the headlines, right at this very moment to refer to. It's it's really, uh, it, it's it's sad and upsetting and disturbing. And also though, it's it's a reminder that this is something that goes on in the world. It's not just history, Absolutely. it's not just in a book, yeah. Absolutely. And, you know, I think that the fact that this is happening in Russia has a lot of special resonance for Jewish people. Um, why it's been really embraced by everyone from the reform movement to the ultra-Orthodox in Israel. It's unbelievable. The ultra-Orthodox website here in Israel had um, articles about Evan at the top of their website with a huge picture of him. Um, Rick Jacobs, the head of the reform movement, tweeted about Evan and sent out information about him to all their congregants. I think that, uh, you know, our people, unfortunately, has a very long history of being falsely imprisoned and falsely imprisoned in Russia. You can think back to blood libel tribal trial uh, in the early 20th century. You can think to Sharansky, uh, Natan Sharansky, who kindly actually made a video for us at the Wall Street Journal um, talking about Evan's situation. Um, this is not something that's new for our people. And I think that the idea that one of our people is being held um, you know, unjustly uh, in a Russian prison really resonates with people. And it's been unbelievable to see the response, like I said, across denominations. There's nobody within the Jewish world uh, that does not believe that Evan's cause is a worthy cause. And that's really touching. How often do you get something like that? Absolutely. And the, the fact that he is Jewish seems to be relevant in this situation. I, I know Rabbi Pinchas Goldschmidt, former chief rabbi of Moscow, tweeted something about that. And I just wonder if that is something that is being discussed or sort of left out of the conversation. I saw that tweet. I don't know enough about Russia to be able to say whether he's right or not. Obviously, he knows a lot more about Russia than me, having been the chief rabbi of Moscow for so many years. Um, I asked some colleagues who didn't think that necessarily was a part of it. I think that Putin was probably looking to kidnap a journalist uh, and Evan was there. Um, that said, you know, perhaps Robert Goldschmidt is right. I, I just don't know. And as far as initiatives you were talking about. I mean, this is just such a great example of the wonderful side of social media. Uh, your campaign 
um, I stand with Evan and to free Evan, as you said, so many people around the world sharing their photos from Seder, uh, people like Rabbi Angela Bookdahl at Central Synagogue saying she would be setting aside a seat for Evan at her Seder table, and on and on and on. And it really can be a very powerful thing and hopefully help resolve the situation. I hope so. I, I think that we'd like to do more on social media. Um, you know, we'd like to get more people involved, uh, especially people with more followers um, and move beyond the Jewish community. Obviously, the Jewish community has been absolutely amazing. And everyone at the journal has just been so touched and uh, really in awe of what's happened. But we need to spread this beyond the Jewish community um, and really get everybody in the country and in the world to demand that Putin left, let Evan go. And it's also great to see the other publications, um, you know, aside from the Wall Street Journal, of course, the other newspapers and news outlets that are making their support of Evan very, very clear and their absolute, you know, um, just abhorrence of this targeting of a journalist, as you mentioned. Yeah, it's been unbelievable. I mean, to see the New York Times wrote um, an editorial the other day, Brett Stevens, one of the columnists, wrote a piece in it. Um, there's been just a constant outpouring. You know, you were talking about social media. I think one of the things we worry about on social media is that uh, it's a lot of journalists talking to each other because every single journalist that I know and follow is tweeting about Evan, which is just unbelievable and wonderful and amazing, um, but we have to spread it beyond just the journalist community and really get the world, um, everybody to understand why this is such a threat to our democracy um, and it's such a threat to the world if journalists are targeted. And Shandy, just to depart from Evan's story for a moment, obviously you are Deputy Bureau Chief for the Middle East and North Africa. You're, you're based in Israel. This has been a dramatic time to say the least in Israel over the last few yeah. weeks. Um, do you want to just weigh in for a moment on what you've been seeing and covering? And I've spoken to so many people about um, the, the protests and the judicial reform overhaul and just people saying that they've never seen anything like this in the country before. It's certainly an incredibly dramatic moment in Israel. Um, I don't know exactly where it's going to go from here, but you know, I have been covering the protests and just covering the sort of drama and the back and forth. Right now, um, it's Friday morning. The that story has sort of been overtaken by a bunch of violence that unfortunately has spiraled out of control here. Um, there were some rocket attacks from Lebanon and from Gaza. Israel responded this morning. And then we found out that um, two young women were killed in the West Bank. So it's definitely been um, a very difficult time here. And, um, you know, the political situation that Netanyahu is in at this moment is just very fraught. Obviously, um, he's under a lot of pressure. Um, to compromise on this on this uh, judicial overhaul bill that he's trying to push through, but at the same time he has some very hardline members of his coalition, uh, and the threat for him is that those those members of the coalition simply will not stay in the government if he doesn't push this through. So and then, could we see elections again? Like what? I mean, there's so many different scenarios, I guess, that could happen. But if that, in fact, 
I was reading uh, this morning also that I think it was Ben Gvir or Smotrich, I'm not sure who, was saying, I'm trying to support my government, but I may not be able to continue doing so. Something to that effect. So would that mean a falling of the government? It's certainly one possibility. The other possibility is that they push it through and that you have a large uh, chunk of society that's very, very unhappy about it. And you have a constitutional crisis because the Supreme Court decides that they're going to overturn the bills. So on the one hand, you have the possibility of the government falling. On the other hand, you have the possibility of a constitutional crisis. And I, I don't want to use the word civil war, but Israel's president has used that word. Um, so that's not my language. But I would say that those are the possibilities that people are speaking about. Um, so it's really, it, it, it is sort of a moment uh, where they definitely should be focusing on compromise and figuring out how to compromise. But the problem is that Netanyahu, I don't think, is going to want to compromise at the expense of his government falling. And as you said, uh, really horrific incidents, unfortunately, um, today in Israel as well of this terror attack in the West Bank and rockets from Lebanon. I think there were over 30 rockets fired um, into Israel from Lebanon. So, and you have Ramadan happening and Passover and you have Easter coming up. It's, it's so many aspects and so many things that really create a very, very difficult and complicated time. Yeah, this is this tends to be a very tense time of year. Um, in some ways, the judicial overhaul might be a little bit on the back burner this week because we have Passover and Ramadan overlapping. And for the last two years, those have been very violent years. Um, last year, there were clashes in Al-Aqsa that ended up causing, um, leading to rocket fire and, and exchange of rockets. And the year before, there was an 11-day war with Hamas. And there were riots uh, in mixed Arab and Jewish cities. That was really horrible year. So this has sort of unfortunately become par for the course this time of year. Um, and, you know, it's not unexpected. I think everybody's just hoping that things will quiet down quickly. I certainly, we, we all <laughs> echo that sentiment and I hope that is true. And just getting back to Evan for a moment, I know you mentioned other initiatives in the works and things that you and your colleagues uh, across the journalism spectrum are, are trying to get going forward um, to try and help Evan. And uh, I don't know that you can share any of those at the moment, but we certainly hope that this really horrible and unacceptable situation is resolved as peacefully and, and quickly as possible. We're still working on it. Um, we're hoping to, um, we're trying right now, we're in the process of asking uh, churches uh, across the country if they can uh, talk about, if different um, faith leaders can talk about Evan in their uh, sermons and at prayer services. Um, so that's sort of our, our next effort. Um, but I think we're also considering other efforts and just thinking of ways that we can continue to keep the pressure on and continue to be talking about Evan and making his story relevant to everybody. Well, Shandy, thank you so much. I know you're incredibly busy. And this is also, in addition to everything else you're doing in, in your work life, is, is uh, being a part of this effort. And we, we support you and uh, hope to speak to you again with, with good news in this for this story. Absolutely.
That would be wonderful. I very much hope so. Thank you so much. Shane DeRace is Deputy Bureau Chief for the Middle East and North Africa at The Wall Street Journal. We thank her so much for joining us here on JBS. And thank you, as always, to our director, Sloan Copeland, managing director, Dara Golub, transmissions manager, John McDevitt, technical manager, Michael Paley, producer, Carol Lilienthal, and thank you for watching In the News. Thank you.